what a blessing it is today to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the most important things we do is communion and baptism. Those two ordinances of the church provides a clear understanding of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. We have here today one of my sisters in the Lord, our sister Gail Brandis. And Gail has her mom with her. Eva, would you stand please, my dear? Amen. Praise God. Let's give God praise. I have adopted myself into that family. I am now a part of the Brandis family. Amen. Okay, I'll just take your little nose here and hold it like this. Okay. In honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, to recognize his death, burial, and resurrection, we baptize our sister now in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Let's give God praise. Baptized into the body of Christ, risen to new life, walking in faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Baptist Church. We are glad you are here this morning. And, uh, I wasn't sure, Doc. Normally, I don't have them hold their nose until I'm ready to take them under. And uh, when you started to talk, I thought, I hope this lady's got big lungs. Uh, I was just following my pastor's instructions. <laughs> he said, don't lose anybody, Pastor. <laughs> we're, uh, we're glad you're here this morning. If you're a guest among us, I promise this is as most organized as we've been in years, so uh, it only gets worse from here. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest among us for the first time this morning, hopefully you received a welcome bag on the way in the door. Inside that welcome bag is some uh, information about our church as well as there's a visitor's card. If you take just a couple of moments and fill out that visitor's card, and when the offering bags are pa passed around later in our service, if you would drop it in there uh, so that we could know you were here with us this morning, we would greatly appreciate it. We've also got lots of opportunities and services that are provided to you throughout the day. We have a, a room back here in the back of the sanctuary where if you have a husband or a little one who's not behaving properly, you can take them back there uh, or use that for whatever needs uh, you need to. If you go out the door and to the left, there's our nursery there for zero to five years old. And then if you go into the next building, if you follow the hallway along into our gymnasium, you'll find uh, our children's church going on in there, and that's for kindergarten up to fifth grade and of course we love to have uh, our kids in worship with us but uh, if you would like to use that uh, service it's there for you and we're thankful for our leaders over there they go they uh, are our unsung heroes of our services most week a lot of folks don't realize how many kids we are ministering to over there and uh, but uh, some Sunday take a few moments and drop by and uh, it's quite amazing but we're thankful for them and those services are there for you uh, again we're glad you're here this morning I want to stop for a couple of moments at the beginning of our service and go over a couple of things. First of all, I want to say on behalf of the Guffey family, uh, what a privilege it is to pastor this great church. Uh, uh, October, as you know, is Pastor Appreciation Month or was a Pastor Appreciation Month. And I just want to say on behalf of our family how thankful we are for each and every one of you. Thank you so much for the, the words of encouragement, the cards, uh, the, the, uh, the chocolate, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the gift certificates to go out and eat. Uh, listen, you don't get in this kind of shape uh, uh, with that, with, by missing 
missing meals, okay? And uh, I so much appreciate each and every one of you, and thank you for taking the time to reach out to us and encourage us. Encourage us but in, in, truly, the privilege is ours. Uh, what a great church to pastor. Uh, we love each and every one of you, and we look forward to many, many, many more years together uh, serving for the glory of God in Christ Jesus in Sedalia, Missouri. We're just so thankful for each and every one of you. Um, I also want to highlight a couple of events that are going out throughout, through on, or going on throughout the month of November. First of all, it is No Shave November, okay? And so you can't see it from back there, but this hair has been growing out for four days. And uh, so uh, I don't know how long it'll last, but it's No Shave November. And if you're a Lutheran, that means uh, it's, uh, you have to get a haircut this month as well. And you've got to have the Luther haircut where it's bald. James has got it right here, all right? Uh, but you can't touch anything on the side of your face, all right? So make sure, guys, you're participating in that. And ladies, make sure you encourage men in that. We have a spiritual renewal week starting today and working throughout the remainder of the week through Wednesday night with uh, Dr. Loggins going to lead us in that. Uh, I don't know why you're clapping for him. You never do that for me on Sundays, but uh, he's going he's gonna to lead us this week. He's been leading us in this 40 days of yes, and uh, we're going to begin that tonight at 6 p.m., okay? And so we'd love for you to come and be a part of it. Uh, nothing complicated about it. Just going to spend some time before the Lord, hear some teaching, and uh, he's got some uh, packets that we're going to be working through. But that is tonight, uh, as well as Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, all at 6 p.m., okay? And then in a couple of weeks, you've heard a lot about this. Uh, we have uh, our Last Man Standing Conference uh, for men and boys. Uh, we've got posters up in various locations throughout the building. But back on the information desk today is our registration form for that. Uh, this is just a generic one. It's the one we've sent to churches that we've invited uh, that are going to probably send some men and participate with that. But we need you to fill one out too, men, if you plan on coming. We don't have to have every name, but we have to have some idea of who is coming and so on and so forth so that we are properly prepared with everything that we need. And so on your way out the door this morning, guys, uh, stop by that information desk and make sure you pick up one of these forms. And you can uh, submit your $10 per person uh, just by tearing off the bottom of this form and filling it out and uh, putting that together in an envelope and put it in the offering bag or you can bring it by the office, whatever you need to do, uh, but we appreciate it. Now, if you're bringing a group, I've had this question several times, we don't have to have every name uh, that is in that group. You can just check on the bottom how many people you're bringing with you, and uh, we'll make sure that it gets applied appropriately. But those uh, registration forms are back there in the information desk. I hope you'll take the time to do it. And then finally this morning, I wanted to talk about, do an update on where we're at uh, if you've been with us now for a um, better part of uh, uh, 10 months or not, uh, 11 months here, uh, we spent several months at the end of 2017 uh, on Sunday nights specifically. We spent two months and the first part of 2018 really developing a vision for our church. And we uh, talked about that at great length and we worked our way through it. We prayed about it and we divided it into, um, into three areas, a missional challenge, a ministry challenge, and a structural challenge. And and that ultimately came down to 20 different things that we wanted to try to accomplish. Now, when we started that, it was, let's try to accomplish these 20 things in three years, let's say. 
Uh, but I, I want to bring that back in front of you this morning. I hope that you still have those cards in your Bibles. And if you don't have one, you're welcome to grab one on your way out this morning on the information desk. But I want to spend a couple of moments this morning just talk about where we've been and, and where we've been going and where we need to go in the future uh, through these things and just kind of talk our way through it. The first part of that vision was what we called the missional challenge. And we had uh, six different things we were trying to accomplish. First of all, we were trying to accomplish more and more evangelism and outreach here in our community, being on people's doorsteps, knocking on their doors, letting them know that, uh, that Jesus loves them, regardless of whether or not they ever come to our church. We wanted them to know that we were a church that served the community, loved the community, and were, were there for them. Even if they never darkened our doors, we wanted to know them that because of God's love for us, we wanted to share that love with them. And if they just needed somebody to pray with them, if they just needed somebody to meet a need, we wanted to do our best to be able to do that. Now, obviously, when you put that as a part of a vision, there's never a day where you just put a check mark by it and say, well, we did that, it's all over with, right? Uh, that's something that continues on. But I'm thankful to report that 10 months into this year, we've been seeing more and more folks out, knocking on doors, doing prayer walking, and, and Doc, Doc has been leading us on Wednesday nights through this. And, and I'm just thankful for a church that gets it, that loves their community, has been a part of that. Second thing we talked about in that missional challenge was building two churches in India. I wanted to report to you that as of today, we've given roughly $10,000, almost enough to build our first church in India, and I'm excited about that. We have 11 going on mission. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. We have 11 going on a mission trip in December and January to India. We're going to get to go to some uh, pretty unique locations, and we're excited about that. One of the things I'm most excited about with regard to India was we put on our vision that over the next three years, we wanted to sponsor 50 children, and 32 of them got sponsored in the first three months of the year. How exciting is that? Just a little church here at Cornerstone, we were able to sponsor 32 kids. Uh, with their education for the next 12 years. We're excited about that. At the end of next week, we will have surpassed our goal of giving $5,000 of support for Sing for the King ministry. I'm excited about that. We're partnering with the... Uh now, you can't clap after everything. We'll be here all day. We are partnering with the Raymer family at present for a church plant in southern New Jersey. We're excited about sending them out at the end of this year, first part of next year, as they continue to make those preparations. But we're already being a part of that. In total, we are going to this year give between sixty dollars and $70,000 to missions and benevolence needs in our community and across the globe. We don't have time this morning to talk about all of the benevolent needs that we've met this year, but I just took a pen to paper and started writing down a few of them. And let me list off a couple of things that we've done right here in the community. We've paid rent for an elderly couple who lost their house through bankruptcy after her husband's cancer. We paid utilities for a single mother for three months. We provided support for a house fire family. We paid medical bills for a family with a seven-year-old with cancer, helped multiple families with medical bills and expenses associated with travel to various doctors paid for counseling for multiple people for mental health concerns, helped uh, 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 multiple uh, families with prescription coverage. We helped multiple families with utility bills. We just started the Adopt-A-School program here recently, and we've already been providing various resources, including shoes and eyeglasses and doctor's appointments for students. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that loves not only the globe for Jesus, but loves its local community for Jesus. And you, by the grace of God, 
God. The list could go on and on for, forever this morning. But what the Lord has done through you, through your faithfulness, is just almost hard to imagine this morning. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. That's why it's such a privilege to pastor this great church, because you get it. You're answering the gospel call on a daily basis, and I'm so thankful for each and every one of you and how you've responded to that vision. Second part of our vision was our ministry challenge. And again, we had, uh, uh, we had about seven, eight points here that we wanted to try to, to mention, and I'll briefly go through them. We talked about an emphasis on Christian education. Again, it's something that, like evangelism and outreach, you don't ever get to a point where you check mark it and go on down the road and forget about it. But again, it's something that uh, has been worked on. If you've been here on Wednesday nights, you know that Doc has been working on this uh, uh, great length. We've talked about 20% growth in our student ministry and our children's ministry. We're still working working on some aspects of that in our student ministry. And as you know, with the change upcoming at the end of this year with Pastor Tim going into a lay pastor role, we're going to have to make some staff changes to address that. But uh, speaking specifically about the children's ministry for a moment, uh, they've been running about 46 kids down there in the children's church every Sunday morning. That's a lot of kids. And some of them are demon-possessed, but that's a lot of kids. And, uh, and, and I'm just thankful for that growth there. We've talked about some worship changes. Again, we're still working through some of those things. Prayer emphasis was a part of that vision casting. We've not only dedicated portions of our service, but also we have been participating in prayer walking. Uh, I received an email just the other day from a, from a fella in town who was thanking us, not for, uh, for doing, paying a bill or not for anything specific other than he came home from a long day of work and found a, 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 a door hanger that simply said, Cornerstone Baptist Church loves you and has prayed for you today, and he found that so encouraging. So we've had uh, folks in part of that. Spiritual Formation Week, we've talked about having seasons of dedicated spiritual formation. We had our first one with the Global Impact Week, and the second one is when? This week, tonight, right? Wow, you had a resounding answer for me. This week, tonight, six o'clock, tonight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, come, be a part of it. Fellowship opportunities, again, those are things that you don't just put a check mark by and say, well, they're done, we're never gonna do them again, but we've given you various opportunities and forums from family day in the park to uh, going to a Royals game, and wasn't that good to see the St. Louis Cardinals beat them that day? We have, uh, we talked about having opportunities Opportunities, and we've been trying to meet those things. Uh, another thing, a part of that was the dedicated mental health professionals. That was a part of our ministry that we really want to work on. We have a biblical counselor here at the church now that's helping us out uh, as he continues with his education and some licensing things, but he's already been helping us out. We have a family with a vision for a future facility for young people going through various mental health issues. Uh, I'm excited about where that's going to go. Several of our school counselors and social workers have, have have uh, had meetings uh, to volunteer their services. We've had a member who's a counselor in town that has been referred to people. So we've been able to be a, a conduit for folks with mental health issues getting to where they need to go, even if we didn't have the resources to have that staff right here at this mom moment in time. I'm thankful for that. Then we got to the bottom part of that vision, and that was our structural challenge. Those are the physical things, right? And I have to say this morning, we still have a lot to do, and I suppose that's always going to be the case. Whether it, you talk talk about parking lots that need to be finished, uh, whether you talk about a playground. We would like to put a playground
around in in the next year over here that connects with our nursery for our children with the hopes that one day it will give us an opportunity to have a daycare because you can't have a daycare or a preschool unless you have a playground that is connected to it and safe and secure. And so we have to have that first. Uh, Some of you have asked about that. And hopes that if we have a daycare, maybe one day that daycare will turn into a preschool. And maybe if we have a preschool, well, then the Lord just takes over and we'll see where he goes from there. We've restructured our staff this year as a part of that vision with Dr. Loggins coming on. We've talked about debt retirement and we've talked about some technology changes. More on those in a few moments. Another thing that we talked about was adding a few more deacons. Now, uh, we added already three, and we're already praying about one other gentleman that will help uh, represent a, a group in our church. But we've added this year Jeff Durrell, Sean Ellis, and Cam Jennings to serve as deacons, and I'm thankful for each of them. We also finally had a part of, as a part of that, a talk about what we needed with some more pastors, with some lay eldership, uh, and we have a, a name that we're going to present to you at our next business meeting for you to consider as another pastor. So we're excited about those things. And you can see as we go through those visions, if you pulled out your card and you were working through it with me this morning, one line item by line item, you can see that the first things, those first bullet points, well, those are the exciting things, right? Those are the things that get the most attention. But I want to just address one little problem this morning, and that is that the problem with that is that all of those things are necessary, It doesn't matter whether we talk about doing evangelism and outreach if we don't have a home for people to land to. If we can't meet their spiritual and physical needs here, then then it's hard for us to really accomplish the other things as well. So my point with that is that all of these things are integrally connected, even though they don't all get as excited. When I say to you, hey, we, had, we spent sixty dollars to $70,000 in missions, rightfully so, and I'm thankful for this, our church celebrates. We're excited about that. If I say to you, hey, we need a playground, you go, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, I thought we were getting rid of the youth pastor, right? Uh, uh, you, I mean, we, we don't get as excited about those things, yet in reality, they're all integral to what we're trying to accomplish. Listen, not for our own kingdom, not for our own namesake, but for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And if, and if anything I've said messes any of that up this morning, if it takes any glory from Jesus, then I'm so sorry already. Because I want you to know from my, from my heart, listen, we can all meet at my house every Sunday morning. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. But I want you to know that I believe God's given us a great gift here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. He's given us a great gift, not only in the resources that are available, the building, whether it be the people that volunteer and serve so diligently week to week, but each and every one of us, you folks, he's given us a great gift with each and every one of, us, with each and every one of you. And I'm so excited to serve this church, but we have to be motivated on all aspects of the vision, every last piece of it. The problem is that we oftentimes get excited about one thing to the detriment of other things, and unfortunately, this year, that has happened. We're going to collect more resources than we have ever collected this year in the life of this church. Isn't God good? But one thing we've done terrible at is we built this big, beautiful building, and we promised the Lord that we were going to pay for it. And we are today $30,000 behind last year. 
Beloved, if we don't pay for this building, your finance team is going to have to make difficult decisions and we're going to have to start saying no to some of these things. When we talked about this building, we said we have to be committed or let's not build it. And one by one, in unanimous support, we said, this is what the Lord called us to do. But then we got moved into the building and we just stopped giving to it. I'm really thankful that you've been so giving, so gracious in your missions. I'm really thankful that you've been so giving and so gracious in, uh, in your general fund. But we promised the Lord that we were gonna give to pay off the debt on this building and we are way, way, way behind. Way behind. If our finance team wasn't so faithful, it would be disastrous. <laughs> but God has always provided, always met our needs, but we have got to get our building fund caught back up. If we don't, we'll have to say no to things in India. We'll have to say no to benevolent needs in Sedalia. We won't be able to build a playground. We won't be able to move towards a daycare. We'll just have to start saying no. With all that I am, all that I can, I'm begging you, I'm asking you, get before the Lord and pray about this. And if you made a commitment, honor that commitment. And if you're new, we're so glad you're here. Would you pray about whether or not the Lord would call you to give as well above, and your, above your tithes and offerings to, our, to the building fund? We built this with the belief that our building would never be a hindrance on the ministry we want to do. Let's not make it a hindrance today. We've never missed a payment. We're not in danger of that yet. <laughs> but we're going to have to start making tough decisions and start saying no if we don't get better about this issue. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the day. And my prayer is that my words have been spoken out of a heart that has come before you, has been searched and tried and, and known by you completely. And Father, my prayer is that my words are not in discouragement in any way. You have been so good to your people this year, so gracious. And maybe your answer is that we have to start saying no. But I don't believe that's where we're at today. I believe you have put a burden on these people's hearts. You've put a burden on my heart. That's why I'm so thankful to pastor this church. This isn't a church that wants to sit around and sit sulk and sour. It's a church that wants to do great things for your kingdom, not our own. This is a church that you have knitted together and fashioned together to, to meet the needs of a community. Even God, you begin to open up doors. Father, my prayer this morning is that you would give us all of the resources necessary to walk through those doors as you call us to. I'm thankful for how you've met so many needs. I'm thankful for the missional giving and the spirit that exists in this church and how we have met need one after the next, after the next, after the next. But I know, what, know not what else to do but come before you this morning humbly and ask for you to put a burden upon our heart to address this. Father, we give you all of the praise because we want to build your kingdom and not our own. Would you meet our need in this time? Would you motivate us 
would you move on our hearts to do our part in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This morning, as the Holy Spirit was just uh, speaking to my heart about what a blessing it is to be a part of Cornerstone's family, and because of your yes, Robert Loggins and Cassandra Loggins is here. Before we collect the offering, I just want to give a brief testimony about the yes of God in my life. I never dreamt about being here in this city. My wife asked me, was going to where, Sedalia? Is that a foreign country? And uh, numerous people from my ethne, as African-American, have asked me, what is it like being in a white church? I've even had those that say to me, why are you there? I've had even some that say to me, I don't like white people, but I love my church. And I've had some to say, would you please explain to me what is it about Cornerstone, this white church that would have you to be here in your family? From the very first day I came to be with you guys, you touched my heart. The blessings of just being in your presence, the, the vision of our pastor to address suicidal issues in our community, his heart about this community, the work of each and every one of us. This is my family. This is my family. The longest time I've ever been away from my wife was six weeks because she knew I had work to do here. And she told me, I'm glad you're not here. And she said, I can finish my doctoral studies. And she'll be finishing up this December, and then I'm going to get my, my PhD in nursing. I just want you to know that as we pray a prayer of yes, and we're going to do it like this. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to say, just say yes, and you say yes. I'm going to pray, I'm going to say, just say yes, you say yes. I'm going to pray, and I'll say, just say yes, and you say yes. Father, we love you. Just say yes. yes. Father, you are more than enough. Just say yes. yes. Father, you told us that the earth is the Lord and the fullness there are and those that dwell therein. Just say yes. yes. Father, you told us the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not be in want. Just say yes. yes. Father, we agree with you. Just say yes. yes. With everything we have, just say yes. yes. Every resource we have, just say yes. And all that we are, just say yes. yes. We lay it on the altar of the Lord Jesus Christ, just say yes. yes. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you shoulder praise. In the name that is above every name, the name whereby every knee shall bow, every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, just say yes. yes. In your name we pray, amen. 
this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke in the seventh chapter and, uh, and the 11th verse down to verse number 17. I wish I could play the drums one Sunday. Uh, I would revolutionize this place. If you turned me loose with those sticks, I could have all kinds of fun. I don't know how to play, but it would be lots of fun, wouldn't it? Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 down to verse number 17. I want to speak this morning on Jesus and God's love for broken people. Jesus and God's love for broken people. A number of years ago, you've heard us talk about this before, but a number of years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to minister to college students while we were living in Bolivar, Missouri. I was the associate pastor there at Hermitage First Baptist Church, and uh, as a part of my duties was everything from, uh, I used to say from the nursery to the nursery, right? All the way from the little bitty babies all the way to senior adults, I was responsible for all of the education and services that we would provide, and uh, one of my favorite things though to do was to work with college students and we got that opportunity after a couple of our high schoolers had graduated and gone to school down at Southwest Baptist University and uh, I think we began uh, Pastor Tim's back there in the back he could probably remember better than I do but I think we were began with about 11 or 12 students maybe uh, at the most uh, they just started inviting their friends we didn't put up posters anywhere and we would meet at nine o'clock on Wednesday nights at our home and we would just let them kind of sprawl out everywhere and just take, uh, uh, just open up and we would have some coffee and, and, uh, and some, uh, some, uh, some food and things like that. And I think by the end, it was like maybe 70 students or so, maybe, uh, maybe not every week, but, but, uh, throughout, you know, and, and, uh, but I remember one particular night there was like, had to have been 30, 40 students. I don't remember how many it was all there on the same night. And we had them around the kitchen. Remember that brother Tim had them around the kitchen, leaning up against cabinets and everything else. And there was, literally no room to be had. And uh, it was such a great opportunity, such a great ministry. I look back so fondly on that. Some of uh, our later leadership and friends that we developed in that time was just so powerful. Uh, but there was one particular young lady we met in that group that that we had a special bond with and my wife and I would continue to minister to over the years and just so thankful for her. And she came from such an interesting background. Her family uh, was involved in various ministry opportunities and so a church kid. And, but you could always tell by the questions that she would ask and things like that, that there was a longing in her heart, a searching for something. And, and I never really could put my finger on that other than there was just great moments of great ministry that my wife and I had with her as we tried to answer questions and serve her to the best of our ability. A couple of years ago, I was driving home from preaching at a conference, and I thought, I'm going to stop in and see how this young lady's doing and, and just maybe catch her off guard and see if maybe uh, we could take her to lunch or whatever it was. And, and I popped in, and, uh, and, I, and I, I stopped in, and I just wanted to say hello and, and began to talk with her, and she had some big moments coming up in her life for various things. And, and I was asking her about those things, and are you ready for that? And, and as I got to one of those big moments, got to uh, asking her about getting married and being prepared for that, all of a sudden the tears just began to stream down her face right there in the workplace. And I said, would you, would you like to talk? And she said, you know, I, I don't know if God sent you my way today, but I desperately need somebody to talk to. And I said, well, let's go. Come on, you know, let's, let's go off to the side here and let's find a quiet place and let's talk for a couple of moments. And, and she began to share with me that in preparation for this big moment coming up, that something had come out from her past that she'd suppressed for a long, long time. And that was that as a child, for a number of years, she had been molested by her brother. 
And as she shared that story with me, and she had just put it off and held it off in secret place. And, and by the way, I have her permission to share this with you this morning. She, she began to share what had happened and what transpired. And, and then she began to get into the brokenness of the, of, of, the, of the moment. And that was that she'd gone to her father to talk about this as it had come out and share with him all the things that had happened. And, and the reaction wasn't quite what she was expecting, quite what she was anticipating. And she talked to her mom about it and that reaction wasn't the same and and I remember just sitting there really not knowing quite what to say until eventually I just reached up and I put my hand on her shoulder and I said I want you to know something I want you to know a couple of things today and that is this I said I want you to know that God desperately loves you and that none of these events are going to impact your ability to have a great powerful fruitful ministry full life that God wants to give you And I also want you to know that there are people that would support you and love you, that will protect you, that will be there for you to share with us whatever you need us to share. My wife and I are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then finally, I want you to know, I'm sorry that this happened to you. Just in that moment, she just totally lost it. Just the tears started falling. And I never will forget her reaction because when she finally got control of her composure, she looked up and she said to me, that is what I always hoped my dad would say. Beloved, there are so many broken people around us. And if you don't hear anything about what I hear this morning, I I, I want you to know, I know that in this congregation, there are broken people here this morning. If you hear nothing else of what I say this morning, I want you to hear this one thing. God loves broken people. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your history. None of those things have the ability to limit in any way what God wants to do in your life. God loves broken people. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11 this morning. It says this. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him, and he drew near to the gate of the town, and behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Verse 14, and then he came up and he touched the the beer and the bearers stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, underline that, that'd be some fun, wouldn't it? And the dead man stood up, sat up, and he began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother and fear seized all of them. And listen, and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And I like the exclamation point there. God has visited his people. In verse 17, and the report about him spread. That's an understatement. And a report about him spread throughout all of Judea, whole Judea, and the surrounding country. In our story this morning, we're going to encounter a woman who is broken. A woman who has, in many ways, lost everything. 
In the introduction to the story, Luke tells us that Jesus one day, after he was done teaching, after he was done healing a centurion's servant, which is such a magnificent story in itself. And if you don't follow me on Facebook, sometimes I will post devotional stories. And this was one I fell in love with this particular week with that centurion's servant. But, but I won't digress. But after he heals this centurion's servant, Jesus, it says, went to a town called Nain. That little word there that Luke introduces the story with, that word went, is pretty descriptive. In other words, what he's saying here in this moment is that Jesus did not merely pass through Nain, but Nain was the object of his destination. In other words, if I say I went to Jefferson City, I might pass through Sedalia if it happened to be on the way. Or if I went to Kansas City, I might pass through Warrensburg, depending on the route in which I traveled. But went means that it was the object of destination. When Jesus gets done at, uh, uh, with the, the centurion's servant, Luke says he then went to name. That is, that that was the place in which he wanted to travel. Nain is said in their time to have been about 14 kilometers or 8.7 miles away from Nazareth. It wasn't a particularly large city. It, its only importance was that it was dis, uh, uh, situated a short distance from Mount Tabor, which was a place that where they would light torches in the northern provinces to begin the Jewish festival. So there's nothing particularly special about Nain. It's not the booming metropolis of Sedalia, Missouri. It's like Nobnoster or Green. Greenridge, right? Nobody ever really goes there. They just pass through from time to time. Amen? There's nothing specifically special about Nain. It's, it's nothing that, that is a big dot on the map, as it were. And therefore, it seems like there is little reason for Jesus to make this the object destination. And yet, Luke says this is exactly what he did. That he went to Nain, which implies that he must have had some specific purpose in going there in the first place. I'm going to hold on to that and return there in a few moments. When he arrives in Nain, it is said that he is accompanied by his disciples, Luke says, and a great crowd. Nothing new, nothing out of the ordinary there at this point in the story. After all, Jesus has gotten done with his teaching on the Beatitudes. He has healed many, and most recently, he has healed the centurion's servant by simply speaking a word. And you might imagine that as these things begin to happen, as he walks around from place to place, people are beginning to flock to him. They're seeing signs and wonders. And, and you can see in this story that immediately the people said, God is here. God is in our presence. The people must have thought to themselves, wow, something special is going on with this fella. And so a great crowd is following him around. That becomes a constant problem in the life of Jesus. Luke and the other gospel writers tell us that the crowds get so large at times that Jesus has to go off into secret places, enter into towns, and enter into houses hoping not to be discovered, trying to get a rest from the crowds. On one occasion, he sends his disciples on the, on the sea and a crossing in their boats by themselves. And it, the gospel writer tells us that he hoped to put away the crowd. And then he got up on the top of the mountain where he could spend some solitary moments of quietness. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not, believe it or not, I'm a little bit introverted by nature. Now, I know some of you don't believe that, but it's absolutely true. And you can ask Miss Kelly. One of my favorite things to do is to, are you ready? Sit around at home away from everybody else, right? Maybe that's why I like hunting so much, because there's nobody else there, right? you gotta got to be in the quietness, in the stillness. You might imagine Jesus as he's going around, he's getting these large crowds. There must have been those moments where he hoped that he could be by himself. But Luke says this was not one of those moments. The crowd is just swarming around him, pushing around him. And you can imagine that Jesus is probably totally worn out, wanting to find a quiet place. The rest was not in the cards because Luke tells us that when he arrives with this great crowd and his disciples to Nain, guess what he finds there? Another crowd. He encounters a funeral procession. He says that there was a great crowd surrounding that procession, the gospel writer tells us. There was a great crowd that was following Jesus. So Luke, in this marvelous way, says that there's this massive audience, right? It's a little bit like going to a MAGA rally, right? Some of you went this week, didn't you? Huh? It's like all of a sudden all these people are everywhere around and you don't know how to get through the middle of them. But here's what's so fundamentally interesting to me about this story. You have a crowd following Jesus. You have a crowd following the funeral procession. And then Luke singles out one singular individual. I told a story at my dad's funeral. I thought maybe I'd share a portion of it this morning. One of my earliest memories growing up was on an occasion going to the Sacred Heart picnic where they would shoot off fireworks on July the 4th. And I remember that I was just a a little bitty fella. I don't know exactly how old I was, but we were there with the Pike family, who was also an officer in Effingham. And and, uh, and my mom's last words to my brother were, you have to watch out for him. You have to keep him by you all the time, right? And somehow we got into this crowd of a couple thousand people getting ready for the fireworks show, and my brother, who I always believed had it out for me, left me there in the dark all by myself right? And I was scared. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And so I'm weaving my way, and I can still remember this. Sometimes I have nightmares. You wondered what was wrong with your preacher. This is part of the problem, right? I I was weaving my way, and I could even imagine this still to this day, weaving my way through the crowds, trying to find somebody that would know who I was, hollering out for my brother, Justin, 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 and nobody responds. Looking for mom and dad and nobody's there to be found until eventually I walked up to this gentleman dressed with a dark blue slacks and a light blue shirt with a badge on his chest and a patch on the side of his arm that that I recognized that was one of my dad's friends. I didn't know he was a police officer, but I knew him as one of my dad's friends, right? And I walked up to him and I said, Rocky, I can't find my dad. And Rocky put me in his car, picked me up, and he put me in his car, Officer Rocky. And he put me in his car, and I heard him get on the radio. And the next thing I remember is my dad showing up. And I'll never forget the look in his eyes because he realized how bad this situation really was. Now, personally, I lobbied for capital punishment uh, for my brother. But, But I don't remember my brother suffering that much. But I at least thought he ought to spend the night in the jail. After all, we owned it, right? But I don't remember what he punished my brother with, but I remember how devastating it was. 
And I remember talking to my dad years later about that encounter, and he said it was always amazing because the one voice, and you'll understand this one day when you're a father, the one voice you can always pick out, no matter how big the crowd is, is the voice of your own child. This morning I walked into the church and I was getting a few things ready and I was walking around and Miss Sherry uh, uh, and I were out here talking and she was checking people into the nursery. She says, do you hear a screaming baby? And I said, no. And she said, oh, I thought your kids might be here. Now, I don't think she realized the implication of what she was saying in that moment. But what I thought about was I would know if it was my kids. Because believe it or not, I've heard other kids scream and I didn't turn my head. But when it's your child, somehow you can miraculously separate. I want you to hang on to that thought because Luke in his interesting way shows that there's this great crowd that's following Jesus, great crowd that's following the procession, but in the middle of it, one single individual, like time itself, we're separating. One singular individual begins to raise up to the surface, right? Listen to how he describes this woman. What's interesting is he doesn't give us her name. Even though she rises out amongst from the crowd, he doesn't give us her name. But instead he begins to describe her condition. First of all, he tells us that she is in the procession or the funeral procession of her dead son. One can only imagine what it must have been like to have the pain in her heart on that particular day as she was going to lay her own child to rest. Nobody should ever have to bury their children, and yet this was the moment that she was now faced with. It was the job that she had been given, the lot that had been cast to her. But not only was this her son, but it says, Luke tells us that this was her only son. I want you to know this morning that every child is special. There's no doubt about that. But this was her son, and sons are doubly special, right, daughters? You know what I'm saying? Sons get special attention, but this wasn't just a son. This was her only son, right? You can imagine, as it were, that her entire world might be wrapped up in this son. She saw the family's name and legacy that would rest on him. She saw the hopes of her family in him. She saw the love of her husband in him. But now we're told that all of that is gone as she's been given the task of burying her only son. But Luke doesn't stop there. He tells us that her plight is indeed even worse than that. He tells us that she is not only burying her son, but she is also a widow. In other words, she had already buried her own husband. Now, if she'd been young and married, perhaps this would have, not, uh, this would have been a burden that was easier to bear. But that was not to be the case. Maybe she might have had another child after her son passed away and reconciled that God had given her that child and and that it would be easier, as it were, to deal with this great burden. And yet, this is not the case. Perhaps maybe if her son had been young when he had passed away, that would have been easier because she would not have had so much hope rested in him. And yet, that is not the case. Luke says that it was the funeral of a man And the word he uses in the Greek there is descriptive of one who is fully grown. In other words, this was a man that she was now looking to, to carry on a family legacy, to even provide for her, to meet her needs with her husband's perishing, and now he was gone. At the very worst, if her husband was with her in this moment, at least he might have embraced her and kissed her head and told her, trust in God. 
right? But this woman's life was not to be. This woman's life was full of suffering. First her husband had passed away and now she was watching everything she had in the world being carried away in a box. If ever there was a picture of brokenness in scripture, this is this woman. Beyond the emotional toil, beyond the emotional turmoil, there would have been other physical problems that would have met her. In their world, women did not work as they do today. They were simply homemakers and they didn't have the opportunity to work. Their entire provision and safety was found in their husbands. And this is why one of the reasons why the New Testament church was continually admonished over and over and over again to take care of widows. For they had no one to take care of them and they were left in vulnerable estates. But in the case that a husband would die, it becomes the responsibility of a son to provide for his mother. Hence at the cross, Jesus gave a new son to his mother. He said, mother, behold your son. He was passing the baton on because this was the custom. It was the son's responsibility. But in this moment, her entire life, not just her son, her entire life was dead. And life had no purpose anymore. But then, I want you to hear, in the midst of all that darkness, Luke records some of the sweetest words in all of Scripture. For as deep as this woman's plight was, Luke then writes, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her. Beloved, God loves the broken. God loves the broken. This morning, maybe you've never lost a child, but your life seems to have died with something along the way. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was failure in business. Maybe it was a failure at work, a promotion you didn't get. Maybe you're disappointed in general with the way that life has turned out. Maybe it was the dissolution of a marriage. Maybe it was the failure of your kids. Maybe it was like the story you can relate to at the beginning of this message. But for whatever reason, you've hit the bottom of the barrel and you're totally all out of your strength. and No more strength to carry on from day to day. In this moment, Luke offers us great encouragement because the good news is that God loves you so dearly, Luke says, that he had compassion on the woman. That word compassion, it speaks of feeling her pain. It's a very intense word word in the Greek. It means of feeling her pain and responding to it. Isn't it nice when somebody walks up and says, I'm sorry to hear about that? And Isn't it nice when somebody says, I'll be praying about that? But how much sweeter it is when somebody walks up and says, I heard about your problem. Now let me see if there's something I can do to solve it. Let me see if there's something I can do to help resolve it. Let me see if there's something I can do to show you how much I relate to your problem, right? That's the word that Luke uses here in the Greek, that he had compassion. He felt her pain and was moved in a response of love. In other words, Luke is trying to tell us that in the midst of all the crowds, when Jesus separated them, he saw a singular individual and he knew that woman and he knew her pain intimately and he knew in that moment exactly what it was going to take to heal, to mend her broken heart. Time and time again in Scripture, we are told of God's care for the broken. That he numbers the hairs on our heads. We're told that he hears our cries from heaven. We are told by the wisdom writer that he bottles our tears, right? 
And then he has them numbered. He knows every tear that was ever cried. One cannot help but in such moments see a God who passionately cares for his creation. This morning, beloved, we serve a God who is not sitting idly by on the sidelines. We are not serving a God who watches from a distance, but we are serving a God who intimately, compassionately responds in the midst of our brokenness. How did he respond in this moment? In verse number 13, when he felt, had felt her pain, he then spoke to her three simple words. Do not weep. I want you to notice in that moment that what Jesus did not say. He did not say to the woman, you need to have faith. So oftentimes, this is what the church says to people in the midst of their brokenness, right? You need to you have, just simply have faith, have faith, have faith. So many times in the gospel accounts when Jesus went to do a miracle, he would ask of the people to have faith. But in this case, he didn't ask her to have faith. In fact, if he had asked her to have enough faith, I think she might have said, I cannot muster faith right now, right? I am too busy grieving. I am too busy mourning. I am too busy weeping. I do not have time. I do not have the ability. I am drained out. In fact... If he had told her to have faith and she couldn't have summoned such faith, listen, she probably would have felt even more guilty about not being able to have the faith. Isn't that an amazing cyclical problem we see in the faith community? Our answer for everything so most most often is just have faith. And then when a person is broken and they can't muster that faith, then they all of a sudden feel worse because it's like, well, what is wrong with me? I cannot even come up with such faith. In this moment, Jesus did not turn to the woman and say, have faith. Furthermore, he didn't turn to the woman and tell her that everything was going to be okay. You and I have read the end of the story and and we know that, but she didn't. He doesn't tell her, hey, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to raise your son. He didn't give her any assurance at all. Instead, what he did in a calm voice was he turned to the woman and he said, do not weep. What a thought. Was he cold? Was he calculated? Was he calloused? No, beloved. Those three little words represent the authority that only Christ could have. What he did in that moment when he told the woman not to weep was he was establishing who was in charge. He was saying in that moment, I'm not caught off guard. I'm not surprised. In fact, while it may be a bit of an inference, I wanted to point out at the beginning of the story that it said that Jesus went to name, that it was the object of his destination. In fact, it seems like that the entire purpose that Jesus went to name was so that he could encounter this woman. Because he knew what was going on. Isn't that an amazing thought? That Jesus, while here on earth, is over here doing this business, serving in this capacity. But his mind, he has seen already a woman whose child has died. And he lays out a specific target and he heads that direction. Like the Samaritan woman at the well, this woman was was having a divine and sovereign encounter with an almighty God. He had an appointment for her and this was that moment. Not only did he speak as though he was one with control, but he spoke as one with great assurance. When he said, do not weep, what he was saying in that moment was, I've got this. Not only am I in charge, but this is not that bad. I don't know how you guys parent in your homes, but 
you can judge me later, but one of the things that we do in our home is Isaiah will do something crazy and he'll bump his knee or whatever and start crying. And here's what happens. I say, stop crying, right? Are you ready? Blood is gushing out. Kelly will be saying, I think it might be more serious. You stop it, woman. You stop crying, right? Zariah the other night fell, and, and you can blame us if you want, but she fell, and, and she was being chased by the dog or chasing the dog. I'm not really sure exactly how it happened, but somehow she fell, and she bumped her head into the refrigerator, and the knot began to come out the size of a grapefruit, right? And Dad said, stop crying. She says, I can't. I said, stop crying. Why? Because I didn't care for her? Well, that was part of the reason. I wanted to be alone, right? No, 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 no. The reason I said stop crying was I wanted her to understand why it seemed like her world had fallen apart. This too would pass. It may take an ice pack. It may take a mini. We have one of those. Isn't it amazing how they con you into buying stuff? We got this little mini ice pack. Who needs a mouse picture to put ice on a forehead? In my day, we grabbed some frozen peas and rubbed some dirt on it and got over it, right? It might take a frozen mini on her face, but listen, sooner or later, this was going to pass. She wasn't brain damaged. Listen, she was already brain damaged, right? This was not worthy of going to the emergency room. This wasn't worthy of going to Bothwell. Listen, this was something that would pass if only you would stop crying. Jesus in this moment was saying to the woman, not only do I have this under control, but I want you to understand that while you may not know what I'm going to do, there should be a calmness in your spirit because listen, I am in charge and I have got this under control. Beloved, it gives me great encouragement this morning to know that the God who met this woman's need in this story is the God who meets my brokenness today. Sometimes he shows me why I've been broken. Sometimes he doesn't. But he always speaks in my life with authority and assurance. In the deepest hours of despair, God may not always show us the light at the end of the tunnel, but sometimes we, because some, sometimes we will struggle to see what good may come out of it, but He always speaks calmly. It is a great comfort, I think, to the believer to feel the comfort of knowing that God is completely in control. It is the peace that passes all understanding. I may not know how this is going to work out. I may not know what is going to transpire. I may not know what tomorrow brings, but it does not matter because I know who holds tomorrow. I know that He is in control. In fact, without seeing this, his words might have seemed harsh. What do you mean, don't weave? Don't you know that I lost everything? Isn't it amazing that nobody says, you realize this is the woman of the deceased? When he said, don't weep, nobody corrected him, which is a small fortune in itself, right? But Jesus wasn't being harsh. He was asserting the power that he had over life. Don't weep, I in control finally we see God's love for the brokenness he feels our pain as he felt this woman's pain God's response in our brokenness he commands control and now we see God's power in his brokenness in verse 14 listen to it again 
Luke writes, then he, then he came up and he touched the bear and the bear stood still and listened to this. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. You know what's amazing is he did. Jesus in this moment had the power to bring life out of death. There are a lot of magic tricks that people can do. In fact, we've seen them on our TV screens We've seen bodies disappear. We've seen bodies sawn in half. We've seen people that seemingly levitated in the air. But listen, I've never seen somebody speak life into a dead body. In fact, the reason why is because this is not a mortal power. It's a supernatural power. It's a power unseen and unknown to our world. Yet it is known to the believer this morning. Did you know that we have experienced that firsthand? Because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, so totally devoid of anything godly. But listen, he regenerated us and brought us into new life, according to Ephesians 2. We were dead in those trespasses. Death is the stronghold of sin, and yet earthly death is not the end for the believer. When the believer dies, listen, are you ready? I'm just going to set aside this body and pick up a new one. I'm going to step aside from this world and have an all new world in front of me. Jesus showed in this moment that there wasn't anything he couldn't do. If he could bring back a man from the dead to the realm of the living, what could he not do? Beloved, I wonder this morning, what is the source of your brokenness? Maybe it's finances, maybe it's family, maybe it's struggles with sin, maybe it's shame, maybe it's self-image, whatever it is. I want you to know good news this morning. You serve a God who is bigger than any of those things. I serve a God who is bigger than any of those things. In his voice is the power to raise the dead unto life. What can he do for you this morning? What can he do for me? For this woman, he restored her to new life. He restored her life, not only her son's life, but she, he restored her life as well. I want to serve a God who has that kind of power. The best part is that Luke tells us that when the man had received the life, listen, the people began to glorify God. They were in utter amazement. This woman, she became a part of something much bigger than, than she could have ever imagined. God was working out His glory in her brokenness. Beloved, that gives us even hope this morning. Even though we may not have the answer to our problem, the problem we may not have a, an answer to, or a solution to what may be in front of us. Listen, we don't have to because we can have confidence that if we have trusted in Christ, God is glorifying Himself even in my brokenness. That God has purpose in it. After he raised this man from the dead, all of a sudden everybody freaked out. And I would think, for good reason, right? They all started freaking out. The fear of the Lord came upon them. They glorified God and they said, God is in this place. Listen, beloved, when we're broken, maybe we would ask only that God would glorify himself. When we don't know what else to pray for, maybe we ought to pray that God would just be exalted. When... We don't know what else to pray for. Maybe we would just pray that God would take our brokenness, whatever it is, and use it for his own glory. It's difficult, I know, to go through whatever it is that so many are going through today. But I want you to know this may be the avenue by which God is bringing himself glory, and I want to be a part of that. This morning, many in this room feel totally unworthy. You feel broken and worn out. Listen, you are in good company. There's not a person in this room who is worthy. You're just about usable when you get most worn out because God's power is made perfect in your weakness. The more weak you are, listen, the more powerful He is. 
Wish I had time to go back and look at the centurion servant. And you said, we'll stay here all day. And I said, amen, let's do that. Uh, but the story right before this is so incredible. Something I had never noticed before is that, that the centurion servant, when he gets sick, and Matthew says that he was paralyzed, and they send word for Jesus to come and heal. It's so interesting that when the elders of the Jews arrive to ask for this healing, their argument is this guy is a worthy dude. In other words, he's done a lot of good. He built our synagogue. He protected our people. He honored the Lord. This guy's done a lot of good. Then you need to honor him. He is worthy of a healing. You come heal for him. The man gets word that Jesus is going to come back, come to his house. And the first thing he says is, don't show up at my house. I am not a worthy man. Right? The people around him thought he was worthy. But he said, I know myself. I'm not worthy at all. I'm not worthy at all. And in that moment of unworthiness, he said, but one thing I do know is that you have the authority. You have the power. If you would but speak a single word, listen, in that moment, the angels would listen. In that moment, the demonic forces would flee. Whatever it is, in that moment, at your word, and according to your authority, then God, you would be able to move in a mighty way. Beloved, I know one thing this morning. I'm not worthy. Not at all. Listen, you hung out at our house long enough, you wouldn't even let me preach here anymore. And all God's people said, we'll be over there this afternoon, right? Listen, just ask Kelly. My list of unworthiness is long and great. Even when I'm faced with good choices, I don't know my own heart condition from time to time. But I want you to know that when we are in that state where we realize our unworthiness, we're finally in a place where we can see the greatness of Christ And then we'll see him move in a powerful way. Take heart this morning that God is in complete control. He speaks comfort into our ear through his word and through the power and presence of the spirit. So we must listen. He asserts his authority. Don't be afraid to take it. We live in an age and a time when man wants to claim more and more authority over God. And yet what we find out is that when we recognize God's authority, when we submit to God's authority, listen, That's where our comfort is greatest. In this moment, this woman had lost everything. And Jesus gave it all back in a single sweeping. He gave it all back. She got more than her son back. She got life itself. If he could do that for her, what could he do for you this morning? I want to conclude with a story from Ruth Grant. She writes a story called The Mender. He had built for himself a great house on one of the Caribbean islands is a thing to behold. Tall, rusty iron columns collected and resurrected with an ingenious homemade device. This great house is a masterpiece of salvaged materials, a collector and seller of scrap metal as well as antiques. He was also fascinated with broken bits and pieces of china uh, dug uh, from his front yard. His friends John and June Cash laughingly remarked it was the first time they had heard of a yard sale where a man had sold the yard itself. Carefully, he fitted the glued pieces together. Few ever came out whole. They remained simply a collection of one who cared. When I expressed interest, he gave me a blue and white plate, carefully glued together, pieces missing. Ruth Graham turned to this man, having seen his house, and she said these words, You remind me of God. By the look on his face, she wrote, I knew I shocked him, and I hurriedly explained. She said of the man, God pieces back broken lives lovingly. Sometimes a piece is irrevocably lost, but still he gathers what he can 
and he restores it. With all respect to Miss Ruth Graham, and while I so much think of her story and love it so tenderly, she's dead wrong. God doesn't piece our lives back together. Beloved, he gives us a new life altogether. He doesn't take all the brokenness and piece it together. He takes all the brokenness and he bore it on his own son on the cross of Calvary that I may have new life, life altogether. God is in the mending business this morning. He takes lost dreams, that which was dead, and he brings them back to life. He takes lost lives, that which are dead, and he brings them back to life. My only question to you this morning would be, is your problem to God too big for that God today? Stand with me reverently and let's pray. Father, thank you so much.